Welcome to the Queer SLP Podcast. We are two speech-language pathologists who identify with the LGBT plus community. On each episode, we'll highlight relevant queer issues and stories from our field. The Queer SLP Podcast's mission is to provide informative and pertinent content from proud and chatty SLPs. On today's Proud Professional episode, we have Wes Chernin. I'm so excited. He's just a ray of light, and I can't wait um, for everyone to hear what he has to say about himself today. Yeah, we already recorded the episode, but we just are. Here's a little intro for you guys. Yay. Let's That's check okay. in. <laughs> Let's check in. So Let's Nat- check in. Natalie has some stuff to share with us. I do. I have some things going on in my life right now, and I am ready to share with our audience. I am moving away from Seattle and moving back to my home state of New York. We have not chosen a place to live yet. We will be going to New York to choose a place soon, but um, it will be somewhere in upstate New York near where I grew up. So like nowhere near New York City? No, no. Okay. Would you Uh, ever... Live in New York City? Yeah. Mm, You know, I kind of feel like I'm past the point in my life of wanting that much activity. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. I'm in my 40s now. I'm like, no. It just looks like anxiety. Yeah, it's it's a great place. And I love visiting. But I don't think that at this point in my life, I would want to live there. Uh, One of the reasons that we decided to move to New York was that Upstate is very beautiful, and it's rural and quiet, and um, we just really want that in our lives right now. And it's kind of an awkward timing because I just started a new job, and now I'm like leaving that new job. But it just felt like the right time in other parts of our life, so we're going for it. Great. Yeah. What about you? What's up with you? You know, just pushing through the school year. It's yeah. it's been it's been hard, but thankfully we have this podcast. This this has been my saving grace, to be honest, and so I'm very thankful and grateful uh, for this opportunity. Yeah, me too. It's just this podcast has been something that I always look forward to. So yeah. So with that in mind, we are going to keep the queer SLP going. So don't you worry. Even though we'll just be more remote, remote, and like. <laughs> We we are across the country now. So. Yeah, it'll there'll be some different perspectives too because I'll be moving to a rural area and you'll continue to be in an urban area. And I think that will give us some different kind of insights about being queer and an SLP. Yeah, and for those of you wondering, we definitely will be having other queer professionals from different backgrounds, so it won't just be all from Seattle or the Pacific Northwest. No. Uh, But yeah, with that in mind, enjoy this episode. Yeah, have a great time. Welcome to the Queer SLP. My name is Hector, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Natalie. My pronouns are she, her. And today we have a guest, proud professional. Yes. Coming to us from, I think, Portland, Oregon. Is that correct? That's right. Portland, Oregon. Okay. And to introduce this individual, I have a excerpt from his Instagram account and I love it and it warms my heart and it just makes me super happy. All right. So here it goes. Trans is joyful. Trans can also be a lot of other things, 
But what if this was our first message? What if our first message was that when someone shares who they are, we celebrate? What if our first message was that there are not two opposite genders? Genders is not confined to a binary. There are no rules, no gendered clothes, no gendered toys, no gendered ways of showing up. There's just you and your gender and how you relate to your body and the world. What if our first message was that trans is joyful, that cis is joyful, that gay is joyful, that straight is joyful, that all the letters are joyful because being yourself is joyful? What if these were our first messages? What if these were the messages spread through our childhood, adolescent, and adult lives? We are the messengers now. Trans is joyful! Let's say it to ourselves, our peers, our elders, our children, our students. Our first message lays our foundation, and our foundation can and should be joyous and celebratory. Mm. So with that, <laughs> I would like to welcome our our first proud professional guest that isn't the two of us. Yep. Wes. Hi. Hi, Hector. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Hi. This was, that was, it just warmed my heart to hear you read that out loud. Um because uh-huh. I've only seen it, I wrote it myself, but I've only like seen it written on a screen and it just felt so nice. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, and it felt good to read it. And just like, I immediately was just getting like, I oh, got butterflies. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> I'll just because, because it should be joyful. Right. Who we are as people should be joyful. Mm-hmm. And it just. This it, is a space to share that. So. Yes. We want to share that um, to be joyful. Um, people and joyful SLPs. And so let's get started with some questions. I want to know about you. All I know is about your Instagram. Right. And so Wes, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So obviously, as we know now, my name is Wes. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I grew up in Southern California in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Um, so did my pre-wife. Oh, Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so as you probably know, and some listeners know, um, it's a pretty it's it's suburbia, and it's a relatively conservative area. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my growing up, I never, I honestly cannot remember any queer visibility ever really? in college. Um, the only visibility that I can remember is are like negative negative messages um Mm -hmm. aside from knowing aside from like the messaging i got in my home which was that it's okay to be gay but that's kind of like where it stopped so there was no gsa at my high school there was no nobody out at my high school Mm -hmm. in any queer way there were a couple kids who were bullied for being perceived as being queer and that's kind of where i started so it wasn't until i went to college that I really started to learn more about queer identities and explore that within myself. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I didn't know, I was, (laughs) my 18 year old self thought thought that I was so aware of who I was, but in some some way, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) But I did not, I did not understand my gender. I did not understand my sexuality. I didn't understand any of that. And so, Freshman year of college, I was still living as a female, and I fell in love with another woman. And that that was when I kind of, my first earth-shattering uh-huh. experience, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is who I'm attracted to. This is what love and romance feels like for me. Yeah. 
And that was, I guess I was probably like 19 when that happened. And then it wasn't until I was 24, I believe, when I came out as trans. Um, so it's been quite, quite the process. And I'm 34 now. So I guess that kind of lays like a very <laughs> basic foundation for where I'm coming from. <laughs> we had the general idea of Wes <laughs> from, from 18 to 24. I mean, 34. Wow, um, it was a whirlwind tour. <laughs> right. Um, our... This is gonna sound really ignorant, but our I've never even seen a GSA like in any high school that I personally known. <laughs> yeah, and and a GSA for those of you who maybe don't know what the term means, it's Gay Straight Alliance. Did they right? have it where is that I? Correct? Yeah, that's correct. They did not. They did <laughs> not have it where we came from. <laughs> not where I came from either. It sounds like we all kind of came from these conservative areas. I just um, thought it was in the movies. I didn't even know it existed. I like no, me either shared experiences yeah okay so we kind of got an idea about who you are as a trans person and an individual growing into yourself this is the queer slp so could you let's let's go there you become an slp had you always wanted to be an slp no i had no idea what i wanted (laughs) what i wanted to be or do i always knew that i wanted to work in some sort of helping profession And I always knew that I enjoyed being around kids. So after, in undergrad, I studied psychology and liberal studies. Mm -hmm. So that, that left me like super wide open to go anywhere from there. So right after college, I got a job working essentially as a paraeducator in a preschool for kids with autism. And there was an SLP that was there full time. And I just got, I, I figured out that my favorite part of that job was working with the kids on communication. And that's what led me into the field. Oh my gosh, same story, but mine was a, a deaf and hard of hearing preschool. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, so were you already out when you were a paraeducator? When I was a paraeducator, I was out as gay. I never identified as a lesbian, but I was living as female and dating women. Um, so I was out in that aspect of my life, but I was not yet out as trans. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at what point um, did you come out as trans? So you told us what ages you were, but were you in grad school? Were you already an SLP? Good question. I was in post-back is when I came out as trans. So mm-hmm. I've realized that for both of my like big identity realizations within the queer realm, I was I, I it was like after I had moved away to a new space and was mm-hmm. able to really explore myself and be truer to myself. So right when I went to college is when I figured out that I'm interested in women. And then when I was ready to explore speech language pathology, at the time I was living in Oakland and I decided that I was ready to move up to Portland to start post and go down that road. And once I moved to Portland is when everything really unraveled and unfolded. And I was in post full time and I was really deeply exploring my gender identity. Um, and once I like figured out that I really needed to transition for my own well-being, I kind of put a pause on pursuing grad school at that point because I mm-hmm. I couldn't, I was so uncomfortable within my own skin. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't take on like another big thing. So I became a paraeducator. I did post back and then I 
started transition in post-bac, took some time to be a paraeducator again, and then went to grad school. So by the time I entered grad school, I was fully being read as male. Awesome. So now we're at Wes, the SLP. Tell us your experience in Portland or anything else that what's that like for you? Yeah, being an SLP, being a queer SLP in Portland, I, <laughs> I want to be able to say that it feels easy because Portland is a super queer friendly place. But I can't say that. It doesn't feel easy to be queer and an SLP to me. I have a hard time with those two identities. I have a hard time with my queer identity feeling visible as an SLP. And I think that that's why I've started to be more vocal about it through Instagram, social media, is I'm finding empowerment in being able to express those intersections and intersectionalities. Because it's just, I've worked as an SLP, I've always, well, and... (laughs) my whole adult life, I've always worked like in schools. And so I think within education, it can be really challenging. I think it's getting better, but it can be really challenging to be open and out, at least from my experience. Yeah, especially with early elementary. What are is that your experience as well? I am in preschool. I'm early childhood. So I have a question, actually. So I want to make sure I get this right. After undergrad, you were in a preschool, right? Mm-hmm, and then- that's right. And then you did your post back and then you transitioned and then you went to grad school. So I'm curious, did you notice a difference between working in preschool environment, how you were treated as a female versus how you're treated as a male? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I just know that Hector has said to me that as as a male working in a preschool, sometimes he's felt like there's some stigma around that. It's rough. Mm -hmm. You know, I I listened, I love listening to your podcast. So I've listened to pretty much all the episodes. Um, And I definitely, Hector, when you were talking about some of that, some of that, I was like snapping my fingers like, yes. Um, (laughs) I have had such totally different experiences working with little kids being perceived as a woman and working with little kids being perceived as a man. It's like, there are multiple, multiple layers and sides to that. There is the one message I get from people that see me working with little kids and applaud me because, oh, it's so nice to have a man in these kids' lives. And then there's the other side where there have been, I've been in a preschool and there's been a parent, uh, not even of anyone who is on my caseload, who has told me that they feel uncomfortable with me being in a school uh, because I'm a man. (laughs) So yeah, it definitely comes up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I just find that very interesting because as as a woman, I've never had a parent say that to me. Mm -hmm. You know, say that they're not comfortable with me as a woman working with their child. And it's just just, like very frustrating to me Mm -hmm. that that you guys both have to- I've had- so many unspoken rules. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's wild. I've had families in my current SLP job prior to me meeting them, like their kid becomes eligible for our services and we're trying to figure out who's going to be the provider. And typically it would be a family that would be assigned to me. And upon like the first phone call, they say that they don't want a man. So it just goes, I mean, I'm like the only, (laughs) I'm one of the very few men that work in the program that I work at. So it's not, you know, it's easy to just send it to someone else but it it's just like a it's an it's a message i need to internalize and i don't really know how to feel about yeah yeah so throwing in the extra layer of 
being trans on top of that. Yeah. How complex does that get? Yeah, it's just that I know I am the same person that I was before I transitioned. I interact with kids in a very similar way. I have the same morals and ethics and values. And so it's just, it's really odd. It's a very odd experience to know that if I hadn't transitioned prior to transition, um, I was welcomed in and seen as this like, uh, like it was a role that I was supposed to be in. And now it can, that role can be challenged. Another, another thing that I'm just thinking of too, is like being alone with kids or like bathroom time, toileting stuff with kids and how that is also different to navigate as a man. Yep. Yeah, I see. I see Hector I'm nodding just his head. Nodding in agreement, <laughs> and wanting to snap my hands, and I feel you. Well, and I and I feel like as a profession in in our profession, it that adds a barrier, and we talk about wanting to have more men in our profession, but when there's this stigma attached to it, that that doesn't send the message that you are welcome here, right, or that you're not even safe to right. work with kids. Yeah, what a thought. Well, uh, yeah, that somehow we are we are a danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our next question: um, What are your thoughts on passing, and do you think that that affects you as a professional? Ooh, yeah, passing—that's a big one. I have <laughs> I have a complicated relationship with that term. Could you please explain passing yeah. for those who don't know it? Yes. So passing, I feel like it could have a slightly different definition if you're talking about a trans person versus like Mm -hmm. gay, lesbian, bi, pan. So when I think of passing in terms from a trans lens, I'm thinking about, okay, so I'm a trans man, identify as a man, but I was assigned female at birth. And so by me being read as a man, my true identity, people can call that passing because it wasn't what I always was perceived as. That's a roundabout definition, but that is where my hesitation comes from, is this notion that it's not authentic when it is mm-hmm. the most authentic. Where I know passing could also mean, I could also use this in my own life, I, right, I present as a man, I have, my partner is a woman, and so I can pass as straight, but I don't really identify as straight, I identify more as queer. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or Natalie, like I think something you've talked about is how you can be perceived as straight. Um, you can like yes. pass as being straight. Right, right. Which is, it, it, you know, I have complicated feelings about it as well. Just it's, it's something that's very weird <laughs> to me because in my, in my heart and in my mind, I am queer, but to the outside world, I'm not. And I know that there's some, some privileges that come with quote passing. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there's also some drawbacks in that, like you said, you know, with your partner that you are, you know, you can quote pass as straight when that's really just not what you identify as. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm, so. I'm, thank you for bringing up the privilege piece because that is so important. I mean, the fact that I am, feel very comfortable revealing who my partner is, is a privilege because I know that society at large feels comfortable seeing a man and a woman together. And I also know that I have had lived experience of being in relationships that are perceived as gay or lesbian and that that felt much scarier. So do you think that this, you know, and I'm using the word passing in quotes now, do you think that this this passing affects your professional life in any way? I don't know. I think 
that it probably does. I think that I can, I think there's a lot of internalized transphobia and queerphobia that I've had to work through and that I still am working through. Um, As proud as I am and like so, so proud of myself and my identities and my community, there just is this narrative and history we have. And so I think that I probably take my passing privileges and use them to my advantage sometimes, or I, I'm pretty quiet about my queer identity at work. So that in itself is me passing, in quote. No, but I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. And I, you know, I think that I also, I, you, I kind of choose when I, when I want to be outwardly queer and talk about being queer and when I don't want to. And I know that that's a privilege. And I, I hear you saying that maybe it's a similar kind of thing for you where you, you feel like you can use that quote passing as a privilege that you can either n- talk, talk about or not talk about. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's such a privilege because yeah. I've, there have been times in my life where I have felt like that I have to be visible. Like there's no way for me not to be visible. And I know there are so many people like that, you know, that is their lived experience currently. Um, mm-hmm. And having to navigate, it just makes me think about people who are non-binary and who also use the pronouns they, them, or any mm-hmm. sort of gender neutral pronoun and how in order to be addressed correctly at work, you just, you need to share that part of yourself. You know, I, I have the privilege mm-hmm. of relating with the pronouns he, him, and people assume that of me. So it's a very complex and deep topic. Yeah, it, it is. We like those here. We like complex and deep. <laughs> we'll talk about it. And, and Hector, do you have any, any comments? I mean, <laughs> honestly, I don't think I pass, <laughs> according to all my students. Um, <laughs> You know, like having, I guess, quote, gay voice, I have a higher fundamental frequency, probably than most males. The only thing that and then immediately the who your partner is question, that is a solid giveaway immediately, because either I'm with a woman, or if I'm not, then there's something wrong with me, because I should be married already. So it's it's definitely hard Mm-hmm. navigating this field in general, I feel like as a male, regardless of whether or not you're, you're straight or, or gay. So yeah. Yeah. This field. Do you, <laughs> do you, do you get questions still asking, like, do people ask you about a partner or do they ask you about a girlfriend or a wife? Um, they never use the word partner. They immediately assume girlfriend or wife. And that's from students, coworkers, and parents. So yeah, that's that's where we're at still. Even in Seattle. Even in Seattle. <laughs> Even in Seattle. I get I get husband questions all the time from yeah. kids. And then I show them a picture of Andrea. <laughs> and you're like, boom. Boom. This is call her my family. <laughs> this is my family. Um. Okay, so we talked about passing. We talked about kind of unpacking a little bit of what's, uh, you know, some internalized transphobia, but we, and we touched a little bit of, you know, how proud you are. And this segment that we call the proud professional, we like to ask, what does that mean to you personally? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Ooh, yeah. So I see it from a few different places. My first take, I guess, is that I I am a proud professional because I am proud in my queer identity. I'm proud to be queer. I'm proud to be trans. It doesn't always translate into feeling like I can be out as a proud SLP in my work. So I think another way to look at what it could mean to be a proud professional would be to feel safe enough to be able to be out and for it 
to feel very just like a non-issue and humanizing and affirming. And so those are just two ways that I look at it. And in in one one way, I feel like, yes, I've got this. I feel, I mean, I, I am proud. I feel like a proud professional. But then when I dive into some of the issues, the reality is that I don't really feel able to be out as a professional all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a hard, hard, it's, it's one of those things that why this podcast was necessary is intertwining those identities and yeah. knowing how to navigate them. We, we don't talk about that. Right. And so we all experience how to walk that line. Um, yeah. And so totally understand that. Yeah. Well, and Wes, as you were talking about, about that, uh, what a proud professional means to you, it made me think again, back to the what I read at the beginning of the episode where, you know, being who you are is joyful, no matter what that ends up being. And if, if we can be joyful for each other and for ourselves and however we are, then maybe that's what being a proud professional is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Not just being proud for yourself either. I think one thing that you've done well is, make it safe for others. And that's, you know, we are paving that way. I like how you said, um, we are the messengers now. And so we are kind of laying that foundation for future queer professionals to feel, oh, we can, we can do this too. What about allyship? What does that look like to you? Yeah, allyship. I love allies. Oh my goodness. I think when I think of an ally, a really solid ally. I guess I think of someone who really listens and takes what they've heard and then applies it. So whether fully understanding the marginalized individual or group of people that you're learning about, like really taking it in and then applying that new knowledge. When I think about it, like in in a workplace, especially like within SLPs and education, I think about inclusion and how I feel like SLPs are really, really good at advocating for disability inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see that expand to all marginalized identities and people. We could be like the greatest advocates and the greatest like bridge bringing everyone together. So that's what I wish for. Well, and we we do as SLPs become very fierce advocates, I Mm -hmm. feel, Um, especially in a public school setting some of the greatest advocates I've seen have been other SLPs. Mm-hmm. They are fierce. We are fierce, fiercely dedicated to the people that we serve. You're right. And Absolutely. We, we can channel that fierceness into many other directions. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if we have, we're not that space yet where we have made consciously other marginalized groups, the priority, right? We've talked so much about disability and we all understand ableism to some degree, because we got into this field. But there's that piece where we just haven't quite <laughs> added those other layers on top of it yeah. yet. The potential is there, it right? Is. Um, what I took from what you're saying, Wes, is that we can do this. We're already advocating for our, our people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't our know. Community. Our community. You know, we're advocating <laughs> for our students, our clients. I guess I view them as my people. Like oh, yeah. the kids mm-hmm. that I work with them as yeah. my people. So we can we can advocate for them in different ways. We can advocate for each other in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and the reality is is that the more that you are in tune with that, the better you are going to be as a clinician, right? Because right. no one exists in a vacuum. Your your student isn't just in there and a a person who needs your help because of a disability. There's right. so like so much more to it than that. 
Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> fully, fully on board with everything you're saying there. Yay. We will always bring it back to cultural humility and cultural competency. There's just we no totally way. We totally will. I'm glad we did that episode early on. Yeah. <laughs> we, were like, what? we talk about a lot. <laughs> yeah. So Wes, what are your hopes for our field specifically when it comes to queer visibility? Besides yeah. a census. <laughs> Besides Asha doing a census. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That would be great. <laughs> We want that from Asha. Let's make that happen. Yeah. I think the bottom line is kind of what we were talking about, just like the normalization and humanization of queer identities. Going into that a little bit more, I think a great place to start would be more education in grad school around queer identities and other marginalized identities and the intersectionalities. And then uh, another like great place to start is using pronouns, sharing your pronouns, putting your pronouns in your email signature, on your Zoom calls, introducing them to your students, your class, your parents, and thinking about how we can make, I would love, love, love for our field to, it's happening, but to go even further into inclusive therapy materials, because right now, a lot of what's out there is pretty, it's very cishet, cisgender, heterosexual. Uh-huh. So that really excites me. I know that there are some people already working on that and it's just going to keep getting better. So that's so exciting. And so timely because that's our next episode. Yeah. Or previous episode, our, depending yes. on when this comes out. Ooh. <laughs> right. We, yes, we, we've already recorded that episode. Uh, so what are your thoughts on gender affirming voice therapy? Oh, yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it can be incredibly life-changing, life-saving for clients. Mm -hmm. I also think it needs to be approached with a ton of cultural humility, with the gender binary being thrown out the window and not putting your own, as a clinician, your own expectations on what a person should be sounding like or talking like, communicating like in a gendered way. I think it's like... It can be the most powerful thing if it's approached from a place where you're letting your client fully identify their own goals and you're really listening to who they want to show up as and how you can help them get there and providing those tools that is not something that they need to subscribe to, but that they can play around with and see what feels most natural and best to them. Yeah, I like that. I have a lot of thoughts on that. My grad school project was on the training of SLPs in regards to transgender voice therapy. And <laughs> one of the biggest, one, we don't do it enough. But two, one of the biggest focuses that were happening was on the sociolinguistics being taught, not just, you know, changing fundamental frequency, but making sure that you have rising intonation at the end of the voice to sound more feminine, right? Like mm-hmm. these little pragmatic things that we're trying to kind of enforce. <laughs> and like, what? how do you feel about that? I, I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it can be incredibly problematic. I think there are, I know there are trans people who want to know those things and want to explore in that way. But I also know there are a lot of trans people who do not want to go down that road and do not, do not want to be told that they need to sound a certain way for their gender to be valid, because that's just not true. Um, and I think that what we as clinicians need to really, really understand is that voice does not equal gender. So how a person mm-hmm. sounds does not determine their gender. What Their gender is whatever they're sharing with you. Whatever they're telling you their gender is, that's what it is. And 
whatever, however they're saying they are uncomfortable with their voice or communication, that's what you want to work on. Right. Love that. I love that too. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. I also wanted to talk about pronouns. So not just with assessment, but also targeting them as goals. You know, working with younger kids, we already have to ask if they know <laughs> if they're a boy or a girl, like by three. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know if I should be saying this, but I usually skip that question. <laughs> Non-standardized. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean that one, like, like where you say, you know, like the day C. A, yeah, so is a girl, and they yeah. they have to correct you or something. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, it's even worse because it's parent that. report too. Right? Isn't there some question on the self that's like that? Probably, but I, don't I know, know the day C too has it. Yeah, I, in my current job, I don't, I rarely, rarely do standardized assessments. It's a separate team. So I -hmm. do have, though there is like an informal assessment that does ask, does your child know if they're a boy or girl? And I usually skip that because it's just, I don't really think it's important, but. (laughs) 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 No, it's really not. It feels gross. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's assessment. <laughs> what do you what do you want to get into in terms of pronouns and teaching them? Do you? I, <laughs> I I'm not sure if I have had a preschool aged like official goal on my IFSP about pronouns. Maybe once in I'm in my fifth year as an SLP now. I generally if the family wants to be working on it, if they really want to write a goal around it, then I absolutely will and I'll approach it in a certain way that feels inclusive to me. But if it's not like huge to them, then I will just kind of coach parents on some ideas and just model appropriate pronoun use to them. It's such a heavy topic. It's like, it is. there and, are and, no and wrong and answers. Anyone, and, and I think that anyone who's listening to this should pop over to the SLP happy hour and listen to your episode on that because you do get into it a, a quite a bit as, as to teaching pronouns Mm-hmm. and and what that looks like. Yeah, I think I think maybe the biggest thing that I'll say now, biggest piece of directional advice from my point of view would be to like use real people, real real people in that kid's life who you know the correct pronoun of and practice modeling, asking, listening, responding accordingly. But yeah, I could I could definitely get into it more now or also people can listen to that SLP happy hour podcast because it is, I mean, I could talk about it for, for a really long time because there's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we have been talking quite a while and so we should probably wrap some things up a little bit. So how can our listeners find you? Where, you know, where can they find you in the world? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at lavender.slp, or you can find my small business that I recently co-founded with my dear friend, Finn, called Q Inclusion. We were both men of trans experience and we're both educators and we are offering trainings, workshops, and one-on-one consulting to just help cultivate a safer, more inclusive, connected communities for people of all genders and all gender expressions. And so that Q Inclusion can be found at qinclusion.com or also on Instagram at q.inclusion. So this might be opening up a huge, a huge story door, but um, <laughs> how, did you, how did you decide to start Q, Q Inclusion? Yeah. I'm I'm starting to have speech issues. You have Arctic issues. Okay. <laughs> I need a speech therapist. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> how did it happen? 
Yeah, I it was so unexpected. So in grad school, we had a program, we had a little clinic for trans voice. And I was involved in helping create some inclusive intake forms and materials for that stuff. And so once I graduated, the program started asking me to come in and give a sort of cultural humility training to the student clinicians that would be working in that clinic. I started doing that and started to really enjoy it. And then I had uh, I had an SLP friend who was who was teaching a class at a university, local university, to SLP grad students. They invited me in to do a lecture, and that was like the first time where it was like going to be you know, the longest amount of time in front of the most amount of people. I was so nervous, and I did it, and I had so much fun. We had the best conversations. I felt like people were really interested in learning a lot and engaging, and I just started getting more and more offers like that and askings, and so. The same thing kind of started happening with my friend. And so we decided to just come together and try to try to get paid for that work a little bit. <laughs> Yay. Yay, money. That's um. so fun. Cause we're always isn't that funny? we we always become the resident expert as whatever oh, community yeah. you're in, you're like, oh, you must know. <laughs> like you must oh, yeah. be able to talk about that. Yeah. But you've made it into a business and that's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and and <laughs> You know, and, and, um, you know, being that messenger, bringing that message to others in, you know, in a way that they can find it and in a way that's accessible. It's mm-hmm. just very exciting to me. I had never heard, heard of Q inclusion until I listened to the SLP happy hour episode. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's awesome. And it's just, you know, people can ask for the help that they need and have you come to them and, and teach them something that is so desperately needed. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes me very excited. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we've been having a lot of fun with it. We're, we're getting to meet like the coolest people because everyone who comes to us just wants to be doing the right thing. So it's right. super fun. Yeah. They already took that first step by asking. And mm-hmm. so the rest is just opening up to it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Going back to the cultural humility again. Right. (laughs) We love it. Yes. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. Wes, do you have any last words before we sign off? Okay. Well, since you asked, I was, I was (laughs) re-listening. I was Uh re-listening to some of your episodes and I remembered, I'm reminded Hector that you shared a quote of one of your tattoos and I Mm -hmm. have a tattoo quote and I think it's really applicable. So I want to share that. It's a Walt Whitman quote and it is dismiss whatever insults your own soul and your very flesh shall be a great poem. So I'll just leave you with that. Ooh. Oh, Oh, my body. (laughs) It's reacting. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I had so much fun. For sure. That was such a fun episode, though. I really enjoyed. I love it. (laughs) I love it. It was kind of scary, but don't you think that like it went really well? I think it's the same thing as therapy. I have to remember that the client is probably more nervous than I am. You know, so the interviewee is probably like, you know, because they're not used to it. Um, Right. Not that we're used to it, but we have a leg up on most people. Yeah. Well, and we're interviewing them, so. Right. This isn't like, I'm not, <laughs> this is not our story. We already did that. <laughs> it's all about us, Hector. <laughs> How I'm feeling while I t- have you tell your story to me matters more. <laughs> My reaction is more important. Right. 
Oh my gosh. <sighs> uh, Hector, why are we so self-centered? I don't know. I mean, we're humble. <laughs> we, we are the picture of cultural humility. Right? Nobody can ever say it differently. Thanks for listening to The Queer SLP. On this week's episode, you got to meet Wes and a little bit about his experience as a trans SLP. Please subscribe, rate, and or review us wherever you are listening to this podcast. Also, tell your friends about this podcast and show them where we are. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Queer SLP. Our website is also thequeerslp.com. Yay! Tune in next time when we talk about intersectionality. Bye! Bye.